Patrick Mahomes' wife keeps upping her annoying quotient. A DeSantis-hating Florida Jern activist gets caught on a hot mic, and a transgender man threatens to steal your husband. It's Friday, Junior, and time for Losers of the Week. The show starts now. So much like the all-female flyover ahead of the Super Bowl, my losers of the week this week are all female, sort of. So let's get into it. Here's the deal, folks. I'm not an Eagles fan or a Chiefs fan or a football fan for that matter. But I was rooting for the Eagles to win the Super Bowl for one reason and one reason only, this woman. Patrick Mahomes is a truly gifted athlete and by all accounts a great guy. Why he chose to saddle himself with her is beyond me. He is the MVP, she is the MAW, most annoying wife maybe of all time. And she's at it again, this time demanding an apology from those who underestimated her husband's team. Well, I demand an apology from the person at Twitter who gave this woman a blue check. Brittany Mahomes is the sports wife equivalent of Joy Behar, and that's not a compliment. We've heard more out of her during Patrick's career, again, let me reiterate, Patrick's career, than we've heard out of every other wife or girlfriend in the league combined. We've seen Brittany Mahomes thrust her no-talent self into the spotlight 20 times more than freaking Giselle, an actual celebrity with actual talent. Thank God football season is over. Maybe she will go into hibernation or just for the love of God, shut the heck up. We're moving on to loser two, Local Florida First Coast news reporter Atia Collins, who was caught on a hot mic during a live stream event in Jacksonville, bragging to someone about her duty to make Governor Ron DeSantis uncomfortable. Collins was also heard saying that her boss had instructed her to just run up to him and yell questions at DeSantis during the event. Classy and professional. Well, the governor's rapid response director was quick to jump on this little revelation, tweeting, quote, a journalist's job is to tell the truth. Of course, speaking truth to power can make the powerful uncomfortable, but discomfort shouldn't be the goal. The goal should be revealing the truth. Pushing biased narratives with the express goal to create discomfort isn't journalism, end quote. And she's correct on every count. Folks, journalism is dead, and that's the truth. And it's been dead since election night, November 2016. Embrace yourselves, because if we should be so lucky as to get a presidential announcement from Ron DeSantis, the fake news media will be on him like bloodthirsty vultures. The liberal hacks don't care about the truth, they care about the agenda. They coddle Democrats and demonize Republicans, and they do it all without knowing the first rule of journalism, the mic is always on. But on to my last loser of the week, a man who I wish did not have a microphone at all, Dylan Mulvaney. Why this thing is famous, I am still not sure, but here he is demeaning actual women and threatening to steal your man. Day 335 of being a girl, and I wanted to go on record to say that this might be the hottest I've ever looked and will ever look in my lifetime. And I'm making this video so that in thousands of years, there will be evidence. Is it the dress? It could be the dress. It, it, is it the makeup? Or is it the hair? Because I think it's the extensions. And when I have extensions in, I don't know my name. I don't know where I live. I just know that I love these. And I know that I look like I could steal a husband, but I wanna promise you, look me in the eyes. I wanna promise you that I would never do that to you. Okay, I am a girl's girl and I love ya. Woo, but seriously, this is good, right? 
So I asked my husband, and luckily he reassured me I am 1 million percent safe from having Dylan Mulvaney steal him from me. And as it turns out, most straight men aren't into women with male genitalia, so who knew? Folks, this boy-girl is a clown, and no amount of makeup or hair extensions is going to change that. I don't really care that he's trans or aspires to be trans, but I do take issue with the way he reduces women, actual women, to bimbos who only care about outfits, hair, and makeup. It's freaking insulting. This is the kind of crap your kids are watching on TikTok, parents. Just a heads up. Those are my losers of the week. Two and a half females in all their glory. But just to round it out, let me add one more as an honorable mention. That played a greater strength somewhere he probably isn't as strong, etc. I will tell you this, the president is the best communicator that we have in the White House. Well, we're screwed. Take it in, soak it up, pray for us all. But still ahead, look up and you may very well see a UFO in the sky. Thanks to our weak president, U.S. forces shot down four objects in the last 10 days, two of which we're in Montana airspace, and the president hasn't addressed the nation on one of them. But my next guest has been briefed, and he's fired up. Montana Congressman Ryan Zinke joins me next. In the last 10 days, U.S. forces have shot down one spy balloon and three other still unidentified objects. Two of these objects were over Montana airspace. And let's not forget, the main reason Biden had to address even the three-bus-sized spy balloon was because a reporter from the local Billings Gazette snapped a photo of it and asked, what the hell is this? But where is our president and commander-in-chief in all of this? Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. I guess objects in our airspace just aren't a concern for Ice Cream Joe. But my next guest has been briefed on these objects, and given at least two of them were over his state, he's pretty fired up. Joining me now is former Navy SEAL and Montana Congressman Ryan Zinke. Congressman, it's great to see you. I don't know if you recall, but I did have you back on my show at The Blaze, so it's great to see you again. Absolutely, and uh, great to be with you again. You know, this is really quite something. Right. Uh, first of all, you know, the, I don't mind you know, being lied to by China because I don't expect the truth ever. So when China says it's a civilian air balloon, you know, that's really not true. Right. But what I am offended on is our administration, when our administration is not telling us the truth. And let's walk through some of the big ones. Right. The first one was, well, we took immediate action. How could you take immediate action when, when it drifts all the way through the Aleutian chain? through Canada on the, on the first one, and then meanders across um, America going through and across and above uh, our nuclear sites, right? So then they say, well, we didn't down it because we were concerned for collateral damage in the ground. Let's get real. Petroleum County has 434 good citizens. That is less than the United States House of Representatives. And the, the chance of hitting something is far greater with boat traffic off of Myrtle Beach. Mm -hmm. And then, then the big whopper is, you know, let's blame it on Trump. It's like you go through the spin cycle, number one, that's always blame it on Trump. And I can guarantee you, I was Secretary of Interior. Does anyone recall a balloon the size of three buses meandering across the U.S.? And then they said we took immediate action. The first thing is that Governor of Montana, how about saying, Governor, you got a balloon coming across your state, but they didn't take any action. I'm glad to see that it shot something down, but this is a pattern. Tommy, this is a pattern from the beginning of, of Afghanistan. When you don't lead from the, from the front, you follow from the rear, 
We, we blew up Afghanistan. That colossal blunder, I think, gave Putin a green light for Ukraine. We have no plan in Ukraine. We don't, we don't have a supply system that works. We're beholden to China. We can't even figure out baby food. And, and look, if we can't figure out a balloon, then, then how are we going to figure out and defend Taiwan? So this has just been one series. What I'm hoping the president says today is, number one, any object that's in our airspace, we will target, identify, and destroy. We will enact the Monroe Doctrine and do the same thing for our neighbors and allies and friends in the South. And we're not going to take it anymore from China. We're going to make sure the critical components of our economy are manufactured and made in Montana. And quite frankly, I don't think this president's up to, up to the challenge. So I want to go back to some of these other objects, because while most of America was focused on the Super Bowl, I was in New York and I was on Fox News on the big Sunday show. And we were saying one object was shot down. There's another object shot down. They closed airspace over Montana. All right. Another object over Lake Huron. I mean, it was one after the other after the other. And we still don't know what these objects were, which really confuses me that we don't know the difference between a university research object and what could be a spy apparatus. Was it from China? Was it from Russia? Was it from a university? Was it a weather balloon? The fact that we don't have those answers, I know we have the best military in the world, but to me, it's either they really don't know which is a problem or they do know and they're not telling us. I know that you've been briefed on this. What can you tell the American people that are still largely in the dark? Well, a lot of it, we just weren't looking. You know, uh, a lot of our radars were not configured uh, for slow flying lumbering objects, you know, we are configured for the big bears coming across and, and fast, uh, you know, formations. So we retuned, um, but, but also you, you look at the pattern, right? Is it, we have to take action. And this administration is famous for taking no action. So, you know, I, I, I commend now, we're, we're looking in the North, we've uh, improved our gaps on it, uh, but we, we should be aggressive because, Balloons themselves, you know, what can they can they do? Balloons can actually carry a payload of some awful dangerous things. One of them is EMP, you know, electronic magnetic pulse. You know, we live in an economy that chips and, uh, you know, the, our electrical grid, et cetera, is all exposed and vulnerable to such devices, which can be carried by a balloon. So we need to take it serious. And quite frankly, it was deer in the headlights for a long time, not taking it serious. So I'm glad the military is looking now, uh, but we need to defend our airspace. At the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a threat. We need to, again, identify the objects and then destroy them that, that could be cause harm to our airspace. Yeah, you know, and this administration's lack of transparency, as you mentioned, has been very frustrating. But it's not just the spy balloons or the UFOs. They could be possibly aliens, or they say that they're not aliens. I mean, there's a lot that's piling up here. I want to go to Ohio now, because this is another giant concern. We've got our transportation secretary, who sent out a few tweets on the matter. They're not on the ground. They're not paying attention to this issue. You've got people in Ohio that are breathing toxic chemicals. We just passed a huge trillion-dollar infrastructure bill, and a lot of Americans are thinking, we're spending billions of dollars in Ukraine, but we can't help the people of Ohio? I mean, it feels a lot like a dereliction of duty at best. Well, all right. Let's, let's look at the Secretary of Transportation. There's actions that should have immediately been uh, been, been taken. They weren't. Yeah, as you point out, you know, where where is the administration? 
Where, where was the Secretary of Transportation during the, the supply chain crisis? Remember, he took paternity leave in, uh, leave in the middle of it and then went back and then dressed and simulated a birth. <laughs> I mean, come on, this, this gets serious. And we have problems in this country, but they need to be addressed. And I think the chemical spill in, in Ohio is very, very serious. There's decisions that were made that look like it put more people at risk. And quite frankly, a lot of times they're in the dark. They shouldn't be in the dark. This is a, this is a big problem that has you know, potential catastrophic uh, effects to it. Yeah, you have an enormous amount of toxic material going in the atmosphere. No doubt it's harmful, but we gotta be on top of this. Uh, th th this is in our backyard. So we gotta send, we should send every resource to make sure that it, it's cleaned up properly, that people aren't on at risk. But well, we got to figure these things out. It seems like the Biden administration is always sleepy. Well, they certainly are. He's either sleeping or he's noshing on an ice cream cone, one or the other, or he's on vacation, which is happening quite frequently lately. I want to turn back to China, though, because I'm from South Dakota. You're in Montana. It's very concerning to me as a South Dakotan and a Dakotan that the Chinese are looking to buy up so much farmland in the U.S. You know, we've got Bill Gates that's bought a lot of farmland, but then you've got China trying to buy a lot of farmland, and it's very concerning. As somebody that is in the heartland, which we are often flown over, especially by spy balloons, what would you say to Americans that don't see a concern with China buying up so much of this land or being allowed to, to even survey it? Well, we need to articulate why it's a concern. Uh, number one, taking land out of production is a, is a problem. It's a national security concern. Uh, having a foreign entity, well, whether it's an adversary or an ally, you know, buy property, especially adjacent to our missile sites and, and, and military bases, that should be a non-starter. Zero. Zero. Uh, but, but it seems like all the crumbs to China are, are leading to the White House. And I don't know why there isn't a reason, uh, you know, why we don't take a stronger position against China, but we need to. You know, and, and look at the EV world. You know, we, we grew up where EV doesn't really work in, in cold weather, but we're, we're actually becoming more vulnerable to China because where are the batteries made? Where, where are the critical minerals that, that are necessary to make the battery? Lithium, cadmium, et cetera, et cetera. All those are Chinese, uh, either, either controlled or processed in China. The chips are the solar cells, again, we are transferring our vulnerability to China. And this is the irony of it, is that the moment we become energy independent, moving to energy dominance. When I was secretary and came in, we were 8.3 million barrels a day of production and declining. In two short years, if you let America run as we should, we were 12.5 million barrels. We were the world's largest exporter of energy. We did it by lowering emissions because no one does it cleaner, better, more efficiently than we do. We weren't held hostage by foreign entities. And you could manufacture in this country because the energy costs were down. We've done just the opposite. And we're transferring our vulnerability from fossil fuels. We were, we were out, of, out of the vulnerability market to transferring in. We're becoming more vulnerable to China, who is positioning ourselves, I would not say they're our enemy, but certainly they're our adversary and hyper-competitive. It would, could very well be our enemy. 
No, absolutely. And I think that the world is looking at the USA right now. And if there was ever an opportunity to take any country or have any aggression, now is the time to do it. I mean, I said it the other day, jokingly talking about the UFOs, but shoot, Congressman, if I were an alien and I wanted to take over Earth, I'd probably do it in the last two years, the Biden administration, because now would be the perfect time. While our administration is largely asleep at the wheel and our transportation secretary is worried about racist construction projects. The last thing that I want to ask you, because I want to provide a ray of hope. Let's say in 2024, we have a great Republican come into the White House. Is all of the damage that this administration done, is it reversible and is it quickly reversible? No, we're America and all things are possible in this country. I would not even consider doing this job unless I knew it was absolutely 100% fixable. But, you know, generals don't win wars. You know, the front line does. And so in, in politics on the Hill, look, you know, congressmen, you know, we don't win the battles, it's the American people. And we all have to rise together uh, and, and, and look at our problems and we're gonna have to solve them. But there's no problem I've seen that is out of the reach uh, of, of a strong America, but we have to lead from the front. And when we fail to lead, bad things happen across the globe. We're witnessing it. And Ukraine, as an example, uh, what's our plan? <laughs> have, has anyone heard an end state on Ukraine? So this war is being funded on the backs of U.S. taxpayers. And look, I, I've long been an advocate of John F. Kennedy's that we will pay any price, bear any burden to ensure the success and survival of liberty. Yes, but it's not a blank check. And everything we're sending over there, we're not controlling what, you know, how it's used, where it's used, and where's the end state? And we are advancing it toe-to-toe to a possibility of a nuclear conflict over a blank check. So, you know, this is just another long series. You know, you look at baby food, toxic spills, Afghanistan, Taiwan, balloons. I mean, the list goes on of failures. Enough is enough. Congress has to unite. The House has to unite and hold this, this administration accountable by funding, by shedding light on, on investigations. We have Jim Jordan, who's in Comey's leading the investigations, fine men, patriots, uh, on the appropriation side, we're going to curb the spending the whole, and bring these guys to task. Uh, but I think in 2024, uh, America is waking up. The woke movement is perhaps a wake up of America. We're, we're a great country, but you got to earn every yard. And lastly, the fight for freedom never ends. Never can you say we've all we've won freedom and you, and you have to preserve it by maintain, maintaining it and fighting every day to make sure our freedoms live on for the next generation. Well, I am very impressed with House Republicans and what you guys have been able to do in such a short time. Jim Jordan, you others have been on the front lines of this, fighting the good fight for the American people who have largely lost a lot of hope and confidence in our government institutions. So thank you for all that you do. God bless Montana. Let's hope there are no more balloons or UFOs or whatever's flying overhead. Congressman, thank you. For I'm, I'm expecting to hear that from the president today, but you're absolutely a God bless America and God bless all those who defend her. God bless you. And thank you so much for joining me, Congressman. Keep up the good work. You too. Go get them. Thank you. Up next, she was the original service dog who paved, or should I say, pawed the way for better access to service dogs for veterans. Kaya has sadly gone to heaven, but her legacy lives on. More next. For nearly eight years, German Shepherd Kaya stood by her handler, Cole, as an ambassador for veteran mental health. She inspired the PAUSE Act, which requires the Department of Veteran Affairs to implement a five-year pilot program to provide training for service dogs for veterans with PTSD. 
It also makes it possible for these service dogs to fly in commercial airlines alongside their handlers. Kaya was so inspirational, even Southwest Airlines paid her tribute on what would be her last flight. We have a special guest on today's flight. Kaya is a German Shepherd service dog who's been with her handler call since 2014. She was specifically trained to help veterans cope with mental health issues. She was the inspiration for the PAWS Act. It's a federal law that allows the VA to find service dogs for veterans with post-traumatic stress, which was signed into law in 2021. Lobbying for the PAWS Act to travel in a cult. Kaya has flown on Southwest over 250 times. Out of the 320 flights she's been on. Sadly, Kaya was recently diagnosed with an untreatable cancer, so we have the solemn honor of taking her on what will be her last flight. She goes home to rest where she was born and first met Cole. If you have the opportunity and feel so inclined, feel free to search for her story and pay her a visit when we arrive in Dallas to show her some love. On behalf of Southwest Airlines, two veterans up front, we thank both Kai and Cole, the Marine Corps veteran, for their service. I've seen that beautiful clip five times and I choke up every single time I watch it. Here to pay his tribute to his best friend and ensure her legacy lives on is my longtime friend, Marine Corps veteran and Mission Roll Call Executive Director, Cole Lyle. Cole, it's great to be reunited with you. It's been a long time, but I gotta say, I've had you on every show of mine from One America to The Blaze and now here on Fox slash Outkick. So it means the world to me to have you back. And I know that this is incredibly emotional for you because it's incredibly emotional for me. But I want to focus on the legacy of Kaya and what she's been able to do, not only for the veteran community, but quite frankly, she's inspired an entire country. Tell me about how her legacy is going to live on. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, thank you for having me on, Tommy. And, and for your viewers who may not be aware, you were actually the first person to give Kaya and I an interview uh, back uh, on One America. Um, there's a great photo somewhere. I still have it of like Kaya and me on a, on a side by side and, and she's literally on camera, which, um, was a feat in and of itself, but she was an extraordinary dog. Uh, she was an extraordinary dog before she even got trained. And then she got trained and helped me through my own issues. Uh, but on top of that, you know, somebody the other day referred to her as America's best friend. And I really couldn't think of a more fitting title for her because she inspired, so many veterans uh, and people around the country that reached out to me and said that they would have killed themselves if they had not been inspired by Kaya to get their own service dog. Um, you know, and then she was instrumental in the passage of the PAWS Act, which saw the VA expand access to, to service dogs uh, for veterans. Um, she really was all around just an extraordinary dog. I didn't expect this video to, to go viral, uh, frankly, after all the work she's done, I just wanted to give her as comfortable a send off as as possible when it became clear that she wasn't going to uh, be with us that much longer. And that video, I think, has been viewed something like 42 million times across channels at this point. So it clearly resonated with people. And I'm, I'm glad it did, because um, I can think of no better way to honor her legacy than just to share her story. 
even if she didn't have the incredible legacy that she has, even if she was just a regular, ordinary dog, that video was still beautiful. And what you did for her, I know because you and I texted back and forth, but what you did for her in the last days of her life, bringing her back to Texas so that she could be comfortable, taking her to all her favorite spots, I mean, it makes my heart melt. It's incredibly sad, but it's also incredibly beautiful in, in such a way that is so unexpectedly inspirational. But I want to talk as well about the PAWS Act and what you've been able to do. And going back to the beginning of your story, when I had you on, I think it was, dang, 2015, back at uh, One America, talking yeah. about what inspired you to really advocate for the PAWS Act and for other veteran mental health. It was your own story and your own journey with Kaya that really got this started. Tell my audience in case they forgot. Yeah. So, you know, I got out of the Marine Corps in 2014 and I was really in the dumps. I, you know, I, I was transitioning, which presents its own issues and challenges. I was going through a pretty rough divorce. I didn't have a job. I wasn't in school yet. Um, probably drinking more than I, sh than I should have been. And one night I almost became a veteran suicide statistic. Um, and thankfully that was thwarted by another Marine, Semper Fidelis. Uh, but I knew I had to find a different way. And the pills that the VA had prescribed me uh, just weren't working. And in fact, we're exacerbating those issues. So I had a friend who had a service dog. I reached out to him to inquire about it. Uh, nonprofits had wait times over a year. Uh, so I decided to get Kaya and I got her, had her trained. Um, and really that's what inspired me. I, I didn't anticipate getting involved in veteran advocacy, but when I was up in Washington, um, Senator Tillis, who's actually about to honor her on the Senate floor here in about an hour, um, stopped me and asked about her and said, you know, and I, I was happy to be an ambassador for that issue. And I told him the VA didn't provide funding. Um, ultimately, that gave me the idea to write the initial version of the PAWS Act, which would provide direct grant funding to organizations that provide these dogs to veterans. Um, then Congressman DeSantis was the, was the person who originally sponsored it. Um, and it was a very bipartisan bill, despite a heated 2016 election year. We had over 250 co-sponsors that was almost split down the middle, 50-50 Republicans, Democrats, um, because she was such a fantastic ambassador. I like to say that, you know, I, I could be as persuasive as I wanted to be, but she was really the closer because when you put such a fantastic example in front of a member of Congress, it's really hard for them to say no. Um, ultimately, a compromised version of the PAWS Act passed in 2021, um, signed into law by President Biden, actually during the Afghanistan withdrawal. Uh, so that was kind of a, a diamond in the, in the rough patch as an Afghanistan veteran myself. But I want to continue honoring her legacy. I got a lot of support after I found out she wasn't going to be here. Southwest, Texas A&M, all these uh, people, strangers reached out to me. Um, a lot of veterans, unfortunately, are not going to have that experience, the same experience and level of support that I do. So I'm actually in the process of setting up a fund right now in Kaya's name and I'm happy to come back on and talk about it when it's fully formulated, but uh, to cover the cost of veterinary care for veteran service dogs, because that's a that's a gap that's missing right now. And I want her legacy to live on. I think that's one of the, the best ways to do it. So I'm glad that you brought that up. For people that are unfamiliar with what it takes to train one of these dogs, whether they're a German Shepherd or a Malinois, one of the other Labradors, these the typical service dogs that you see in this line of work, how much does it cost to train a dog to do what Kaya did for you? It depends. It depends on the organization, but it can range anywhere. I spent $10,000 of my own money on, on Kaya. Um, that was quite frankly, pretty inexpensive just because a friend of mine was exploring the idea of becoming a service dog trainer at that time. So I was kind of his guinea pig. 
Um, but I think at economies of scale, it usually is about twenty-one dollars to $22,000 per dog, depending on what they're trained to do. Um, and it takes anywhere from six months to a year in order to, to have these dogs trained. And it's a huge financial burden. And before the PAWS Act and, and we kind of dragged the VA kicking and screaming to, to implement this policy, um, you know, there was no option other than going through nonprofits that provide them. But the demand is so high and nonprofit based budgets, what they are, the wait times are, are long. And many of these organizations have several hundred veterans on their waiting list. So there needed to be federal funding. Uh, and, and this was the way that we decided to go about it. And I'm so glad that you brought up the pharmaceutical end of all this, because we know for years the VA has gotten a bad rap for just pushing pills on veterans to solve all the problems. And for some people it works, for some people it doesn't. But if you can substitute that with a service animal, what a better way to go. For people that aren't familiar with what a service dog does, it's more than just a companion. Can you just briefly tell my audience what kind of training these dogs have and what they do for somebody like yourself that suffered from PTSD and other issues as a result of your service? Right. Um, you know, so Kaya was specifically trained to wake me up from nightmares. She'd recognize when I was having a, one and she would jump up at bed, lick my face to wake me up and then just kind of sit with me uh, while I calm down uh, and could go back to sleep. And I, I didn't take pills after that because I, I knew that she would be there to carry me through the worst of these nightmares. She was also trained to stop anxiety attacks using what's called animal-assisted intervention, roughly the same thing. She would recognize um, elevated heart rate, hyperventilation, that sort of stuff, and get up in my face and, and lick my face to break the snowball effect of, of that uh, depression, anxiety, and it worked wonders. And not only did it work wonders, there's no real negative side effect to a service dog um, like there can be with pills. And you're right, there's an important legal difference between a trained service animal and just a companion animal, or your viewers might be more familiar with the term emotional support animal. Um, those dogs are not legally protected under the Americans with Disabilities Act like a service animal is. Um, and there's, you know, under the Americans with Disabilities Act, Technically, you can self-train your dog, um, but the dog obviously needs to be able to behave in public and do what are called work tasks. So the waking me up from nightmares and stopping anxiety attacks were two of the work tasks that Kaya was trained to do for me. And that's the legal difference between a service dog who's trained to perform a specific task to mitigate some of these symptoms versus an emotional support animal or a companion animal that's just there to provide general comfort. I'm glad that you brought that up because I'm someone that flies often and I have learned the difference between a trained service animal like Kaya and other military and veteran dogs and people who put a vest on their Yorkie and call it a service dog and put a vest on it so they can get out of paying the fee. Now for me, yeah. because I know your story, because I know several other veterans with service dogs, quite frankly, that annoys me a little bit. I'm wondering if it annoys you as well, because I'm sure that just like me as with the amount that you've traveled and your expertise in this area, I'm sure you've seen that time and time again, and it's got to be frustrating. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it really, it harms people with real service dogs because if these animals act out, um, you know, biting people, lunging at, at people, biting a kid, whatever the case may be, it really prejudices uh, gate agents and flight attendants and people in public areas because they see the vest and they don't know the difference between an emotional support animal and a service dog. So actually, when I worked in the Senate, um, apologies to anybody who used to take their emotional support animals on planes, um, but I actually worked on legislation to end 
uh, emotional support animals on planes because Kaya flew with me over 250 times on Southwest, over 320 times overall. And she was constantly getting lunged at and barked at and, and bit by other animals. And I was like, this has got to stop. So, um, you know, the, the airlines, the flight attendants unions, pilots unions, management of the airlines, um, all kind of banded together behind this effort. And now, you know, you have to sign a, a document, a piece of uh, a document, and you can be punished for attesting that your dog is a trained service animal um, if you go on a plane and it mauls a kid or it um, defecates or pees on a plane or, or something like that. You can be legally punished now at this point for doing that because it is dangerous and it does prejudice people with an actual need for service animals to travel with them. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up and you're educating people on that. Everybody loves to travel with their animals, but, you know, veterans that need it, they, they shouldn't have to suffer because some people don't want to pay that small fee. The last thing I want to ask you is for those veterans out there that are suffering from PTSD who are listening to this interview now and they want to find a way that they can get a service animal like Kaya, where would you tell them to go to start that process? Well, there's... A lot of different organizations across the country. I can name a few off the top of my head. Canines for Warriors uh, is the one in Ponte Vedra, Florida. It's the largest organization in the country uh, that provides service animals. Labs for Liberty in Utah, um, Patriot Paws in Texas, Warrior Canine Connection um, in the Bethesda uh, area near Washington, D.C. Um, a simple Google search, and you can find plenty of these organizations. Um, you just have to make sure that they're reputable, make sure that they have good uh, 990s, which is the financial form that nonprofits have to disclose, um, make sure they're in good standing. Uh, but there's a lot of organizations. And I would say if you're struggling, you know, if you've tried the pills, if you tried the therapy and it just doesn't work for you, um, you know, it doesn't hurt to explore other options. Um, and even if it takes a little bit of time to, to get a service dog, take it from me, it's worth the wait because service dogs can save lives. Thank you so much for so many times over the years sharing your story and Kaya's story and her legacy will absolutely live on. I will make sure of that. God bless you. And I look forward to seeing you at some point when your heart is ready with another dog that can continue this mission, because I know that you're going to do just that. God bless you, Cole. God bless Kaya, her memory, her legacy. And thank you once again for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you, Tommy. Up next, there's a real crisis brewing in Ohio, and Joe and Pete are still MIA. Maybe if a train derailed and exploded in Ukraine, they'd give a damn. My final thoughts are next. There's a major humanitarian crisis going on right now, and the Biden administration is largely ignoring it. And no, I'm not talking about Ukraine. I'm talking about Ohio, and it's time for final thoughts. Twelve days ago, a train carrying toxic materials derailed near East Palestine, Ohio, causing a massive explosion and a toxic smoke cloud over the town. Ohio Governor DeWine insists the pollution doesn't pose a serious threat to the five million people affected, people that rely on the river for drinking water. But those who use private wells near the derailment should maybe drink bottled water for a while, but still no serious threat, he says. Yeah, sure, dude. I'd like to see him drink that water because something tells me he wouldn't. The people of East Palestine, who have been largely ignored, would beg to differ that this situation is contained, safe, and good to go. One of the chemicals on the train was vinyl chloride, which is highly flammable and carcinogenic, especially through inhalation. 
When burned, it decomposes into other toxic compounds, including hydrogen chloride. But again, don't worry, y'all. I'm sure the pets and other animals dropping dead are due to climate change or racism. Or maybe the people are just making it up, like the folks dropping dead from cardiac arrest after the experimental COVID vaccine. Who can we even trust anymore, honestly? The people in East Palestine are pissed, and they ought to be. They don't deserve to be nuked with toxic chemicals. This is crazy. There should be so much outrage everywhere about this. It's absurd. It stinks out here. Like, man, people just don't deserve to get nuked with toxic chemicals just because railroad companies make an error by not checking their trains to make sure they're safe. They go off, they derail, and then, oh, the only way we can get business back for our $55 billion business is for us to blow it up and just ruin a whole city of like 3,000 people. If there's something we should do, we should do like a give, send, go and get every house here, 2,000 houses, whatever it is, or for the whole city, like reverse osmosis water so that their next generation of people don't grow legs out of their head. Amen. This is an environmental disaster of epic proportions, but yet I have yet to see teen climate snob Greta Thunberg or Al Gore or John Kerry on the scene. Hell, where the heck is our freaking president on this or our transportation secretary? These hacks want to ban gas stoves to save the environment, but when toxic chemicals explode, where are they? They are disingenuous and lazy at best. These people want answers, and they deserve answers. Didn't Congress just spend trillions on an infrastructure package? What an excellent use of resources, as we can see. You know, it really burns my ass, no pun intended, that we send billions and billions of dollars in resources over to Ukraine, and yet when a situation like this happens on our own soil, we barely get a peep out of our leaders, and that's a bipartisan disappointment, by the way. Prayers to the people of Ohio. You deserve better leadership than this, and at the very least, you deserve some answers and transparency. Chinese spy balloons, UFOs being shot down every other day, and now this explosion in East Palestine, Ohio. How did we get so lucky as to have this guy at the helm when it all goes down? Just blessed, I guess. Super freaking blessed. Those are my final thoughts. Be sure to catch the entire show, as well as exclusive content on Outkick.com. From Nashville, God bless and take care.